1: Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with.
0: And the others have not even seen. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com.
1: And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music.
0: As you probably know, this season, we are shaking things up with 10 guest geeks, friends of ours who are joining in to school us on the stuff that both Emily and I have missed.
1: And today, we are talking about Star Trek, the iconic sci-fi TV series created by Gene Roddenberry that started in 1966. It stars William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock, and a bunch of other people you have heard of because the show is famous as hell.
0: And yet, somehow, 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 neither Emily nor I has seen this show. We need to fix that. Yeah,
1: it's it's a problem. So we are delighted to welcome today's guest geeks, Zach and Josh Powers. Hello. Hi.
0: Hello. Hi, guys.
1: (laughs) So we're going to watch three episodes of Star Trek that you've chosen for us. Uh, But before we do that, let's start out with, you know, your connection to Star Trek. What's, I don't know, how'd you get into it and why do you love it so much?
2: You know, I'm not sure I know how I got into it. I think part of it probably is my brother here sitting next to me um, that he is the one who got me into interested in space in general. My dad was a sci-fi person, uh, but I don't think he watched much Star Trek. So it may have been because it was on reruns when I was growing up. And that may be the reason I watched Star Trek and then uh, grew up in the generation of Next Generation and, and the and the spinoffs.
1: Okay, so what about you as the apparent Originator of this of this family Star Trek obsession,
3: instigator. So, to believe my mother, she says that when I was a little baby, she held me in front of the screen on the TV to watch the Viking landing on Mars, and she launched my whole interest in space. Uh, I, I'm an aerospace engineer in my day job, and uh, so it's a it's a natural interest for me. And I don't remember how I first got into Star Trek, but anything to do with space is fascinating to me. The idea of uh, of starships and exploring the universe. Um, and, and it's uh, just a, it's a show that mixes uh, a lot of fun, uh, excitement, and technology, and uh, it's just uh, something that I've always been into all all flavors of Star Trek, uh, starting starting with the original series.
1: No, so you're like the closest we could actually find to an actual crew member of the Starship Enterprise to, to help us with this task. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're going to go watch uh, three episodes now, and after the break, we'll talk about them with spoilers. Uh, so the three episodes that we're going to watch, I think it's one from season one and two from season two, and they are called Space Seed, Amok Time, and Trouble with Tribbles.
1: And conveniently, all of this is on Netflix.
0: And if you don't have Netflix for some reason, you can also find these on Amazon Prime, on Hulu, or on the CBS website if you're willing to watch ads on that. But really, I mean, you probably have Amazon or Netflix or Hulu, so just do one of those. (laughs) Or... If for some reason you don't want to do any of those options, you can rent all the episodes from all the usual places. Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, Google Play.
1: And in fact, uh, I had my internet go out yesterday when I was trying to watch this and discovered that they are also available on DVD at my local library. So that might be true for you as well.
0: Well, What's a DVD? I'm I'm confused.
1: You know, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure your local librarian could tell you.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. I'll I'll ask if it's next to the parchment. <laughs> All right, so we're going to watch these 3 episodes and we'll be back after this break with spoilers. <laughs>
1: Hey folks, before we get to our Star Trek discussion, a quick production note. We recorded this episode back in July of 2017, so there's a few things in it that may sound a little bit off to you. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, the new series, had not yet premiered. We had not yet recorded our Gremlins episode of this very podcast, and most seriously, sexual assault allegations that have surfaced against George Takei were not out yet, or at least we were not aware of them. So that's why we make some brief mention of him and of his character Sulu without referencing what's happened in more recent months. Thanks so much for understanding and for bearing with us.
3: Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go
0: where no man has gone before. And we're back. We just watched three episodes of Star Trek, the original series. We watched Space Seed, A Muck Time, and Trouble with Tribbles. We're here with our guest geeks, Zach and Josh Powers. And uh, Emily and I are going to share what we thought of these episodes, of our introduction to the yeah, Star somehow, Trek original series. Yes. our introduction series. to Star Trek. <laughs> uh, but before we do that, uh, Zach and Josh, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, why you love these episodes so much?
1: Yeah, so again, Zach first, since you're... Just because you're sitting next to me, that it's easier.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, these episodes in Star Trek in general. I was rewatching them. I hadn't actually watched the original series in a little while, and I was certainly not critically in a while. So I was thinking about it, and like, there are some things that are definitely dated when you're watching a Star Trek episode, but there are also some things which are way more progressive in terms of in terms of TV making, in terms of thinking than than I probably remembered as well. So in some ways, I'm like, ooh, that's. That's not good anymore. And someone's like, ah, that was actually, that, that's still solid. I mean, fr- from special effects to uh, to just the themes they're addressing in general.
1: Yeah, and Josh?
3: One thing about these particular three episodes is when I think about Star Trek, I think about a future in which uh, radical advancement of technology has changed uh, the way that people interact with each other, the way that people live. But in these three episodes, there's actually a lot of emphasis on the human uh, the human relationships, uh, you know, with with Khan and with people responding to the tribbles and with uh, Spock's troubles that we'll get to, I'm sure uh, in in a mock time, these all are, are show the other side of Star Trek, which to me is that it has always been about the relationships between people and the challenges that they find themselves in and how they react uh, to those. So it's a it's a good mix between the technology and the human element.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Like I was, I was also kind of struck by how like much to, to both of to the points that both of you just made like how much kind of like commentary on humanity there was like there was a lot of like yeah just commentary kind of about like the the nature of humans and like what what people are like and apparently we had eugenics world war in the 90s which (laughs) i missed centuries
0: ago in the 1990s yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um well that, that was something i was kind of curious about so i kind of i feel like i had heard about all these episodes to different degrees. I feel like these were pretty famous episodes. I'm I'm wondering how, like, uh, normal that is, like, across the rest of the series. Because, like, I did really enjoy what you're talking about there, about the commentary on humans, but I also have the sense in my head of Star Trek as being kind of, you know, uh, alien of the week, sort of get onto a different planet with a different green-skinned alien uh, show. And so I want to know how wrong that is. I want to know how, like... You know, is is this a representative sample of, of kind of the show?
2: Uh, I think it's representative. I mean, any show you're going to have throwaway episodes. Um, in this case, though, I think one of the reasons that Star Trek became this whole phenomenon, why it became a franchise, was because it did those things well pretty consistently. Um, there are episodes which don't necessarily resonate like these three. Um, but on the other hand, I think there are way more that do have some sort of uh, a similar Similar thematic addressing Very basic human issues And that's why it's carried over And that's why it. You, I mean I just Thinking of the first episode Next Generation They started with that Humanity on trial that's, what, that's where that starts So I mean you have That theme was picked up immediately And because it was there From the beginning I think Is why that theme Theme carried through The other, the other franchises too
1: We haven't watched The Next Generation yet We have That's going to be a later episode Of this same season So we yeah. hopefully <laughs> Hopefully our geek Or geeks for that Will pick that episode So we know what you're talking about um, but no, I, I don't know about you, Eric, my, uh, my kind of whole frame of reference for Star Trek is almost entirely Futurama based.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, like, just from, from, like, jokes in the Futurama episodes where they're referencing the famous episodes of Star Trek that we have not seen. Well, where and also kind of the,
1: the episode where no fan has gone before that features, like, all of these actors as voice actors playing their Star Trek characters being kidnapped by, like, the universe's greatest Star Trek fan. I am Melvar, seer of the tapes, knower of the episodes. Tremble before my encyclopedic
0: knowledge of Star Trek. Uh, I I will say, in in one of these episodes, there's a brief uh, scene where uh, Sulu, George Takei, speaks. I cannot hear George Takei's voice and like, think of him as anything other than George Takei in, in all caps, and like his character of himself that he has created in various Simpsons and Futurama and other public. This persona of himself. Like, that, 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 like, the way he says words just is is kind of spoiled in a in a way like it's 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 hard to really take that character seriously. Maybe I'd feel differently if I saw an episode where he had a bit more to do dramatically, but <laughs> probably
2: less so if you saw
3: the one where he's like
2: fencing and
0: is shirtless that actually would probably just I've continue. Seen pictures yeah, of that. yeah yeah, so that would
2: continue the <laughs> the impression you already have.
3: <laughs> I have to say that as a Star Trek fan who appreciates all the characters in the series, one of the most exciting moments in, in this was when just uh, Sulu and Chekhov conversing at the helm, just for a little moment of time with two of these maybe secondary but very important characters who, uh, who lashed all through the, uh, the series and the movies.
1: I was wondering, are they um, are they not there from the beginning? Cause, like they weren't, or was it just the was it just that the one season one episode we watched didn't happen to have them in it, or were they like a new addition in season two or something?
2: Uh, Sulu was around from season one. Uh, Chekhov was introduced in season two, and and you're gonna have to fact check ah. me on this one. But the the rumor I heard was that Star Trek ran opposite the monkeys, and they needed a young guy with <laughs> floppy hair to draw in the crowd. So I don't. I, I, got, I, I someone actually told made me that. a
0: note. I made a note, Chekhov's hair, dear God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I also made a lot of commentary, like notes about like the fashion and hair of like what wears all of the women's hair and also what are their uniforms? Oh my God. I was like, initially I was like, I I could see it in my notes that I was taking, like I went through this whole, it's like, okay, is she wearing pants? No, she's definitely not wearing pants. Is that a romper? Please tell me that's a romper. No, no, that's not a romper. That's literally just a skirt that like, how could you move in that? Like, um, anyway, but television 60s. So, yeah.
0: And, and also, I mean, in terms of, I think, I think, uh, Josh, I think you mentioned sort of stuff that doesn't hold up quite as well. Um, Ricardo Montalban playing a Northern Indian Sikh. Um, not, not great. I mean, I actually have seen the wrath of Khan. I've seen the, the continuation of his story, I guess out of order. I, this was sort of I guess the optional prequel to that for for, for people who uh, who who are the true fans. Uh, so I knew I knew who that character was. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a little, little bit weird to have have, the, have him just described uh, on screen as a Northern Indian Sikh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you'll notice that in the in the movie and even in the new series where uh, where Khan appears in the new movies, uh, the, that part of his character has kind of gone away, and he's just sort of an <laughs> an interesting guy who quotes Shakespeare. Shakespeare a lot
0: <laughs> I mean his name still is like Khan Noonien Singh but I mean you know progress <laughs> It is basically unforgivable
2: I mean you can't defend this this is an indefensible part of Star Trek that is there among several others in that episode uh, from with the women's outfits to the women's roles to the women's behavior is written Gene uh, Runbury might have been a forward thinker in terms of science and progress technologically t- technologically speaking but not so much when in terms of uh, uh, the of social issues all the time
3: yeah and it can be a bit distracting i think so when you watch the show it's important to go in i think understanding the sort of historical context of where it came from because having not watched in particular the the con episode in a very long time uh, to go into that it is a bit distracting to see the way that the historian officer responds to Khan.
0: no mystery to me i know exactly who you are
1: Bip Erikson, Richard the Lionheart Lionhearted, Napoleon. I don't know if you're going to like living in our time.
3: Just not any way that we would think, and it would it would seem so out of place. But you have to uh, maybe appreciate that they didn't have the same uh, the same concerns and same appreciate <laughs> the same uh, standards that we have today. Uh,
2: that we wish yeah, we had today. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say the
1: thing is there's still plenty of stuff that that we that we've watched for this podcast or just watch in life that like is much 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 more recent and and like at least at least this you can be like well it's the 1960s like it's a different time let's let's pretend that we're better (laughs) as a society even though i'm you know not necessarily sure that we always are but
0: i I mean emily and i are both big fans of james bond movies so i mean it's not like you know who among us really
1: (laughs) in fact in fact i believe wasn't our first episode thunderball and it's like so
0: where 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 bond pressures lies to a woman to to get into her bed by making her think that she almost got him killed yes that 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 was our first movie ever <laughs> yeah so
1: we're sitting in a glass house here
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um oh
0: well so I, on the topic of of space seed um i will say that i w- whatever your thoughts on, on the race of the, the who's who's casting it uh, I liked Ricardo Montalban so much better than Benedict Cumberbatch in this role. Like, I I really was, like I liked the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, and I then loved that two, actually. Yeah, so did I. I. I liked it a lot, but then the two movies that have come since I've not really cared for. And I I, I don't know. I I feel like there was something that really resonated in a shorter time span about the character here um this made made uh you know um i really like that a lot i think out of the three episodes we watched uh i think uh Seed was actually my favorite um
1: well I, I i i haven't seen the new one um although i will say i think that this is the only context in which literally anyone would say that they like prefer ricardo montelmont to benedict cumberbatch it's just like
0: because
1: <laughs> ricardo ricardo mantelmont is just such an an odd artifact just as an actor. But anyway, no, what I was going to say is I also really liked uh, liked that episode as well. And I think that part of it was that it it really, like, you know, I, and again, I don't know how much the new movie or the other movie delves into, like, the origin of Khan as much that he's the, the you know, product of this whole, like, eugenics thing where he, like, and, you know, this, like, group of, like, super genetically engineered people took over or whatever. And it's, like, that that's the thing was, like, the episode was having this big conversation about like humanity and whether you know whether it's possible whether it's like desirable to have like you know people who are like quote unquote better you know it's like a I don't know it's like brave new world and any number of things since it that like I don't know I'm not really making a point here
3: (laughs) (laughs) They give Khan's character such an incredible setup in this episode by saying that he yeah. he ruled a quarter of the world's population for for four years and that he did it without any massacres. I think is the word they use, uh, but as someone says, without much freedom. And I think what's you know impressive about his performance. So I guess we have to give him a little bit of credit as an actor is. In such a short period of time in this episode, he establishes himself as a believable in that character of this person who, who was, yes. a, a you know, a, a dictator, for lack of a better term, but with a sort of a refined character about him. And it's impressive that he can do that in a 50-minute episode.
0: An elegant dictator <laughs> who you could believe could be a charismatic, like, oppressor. Like, yeah. You, you, you can see that when they say it.
2: And I mean, I have to admit, biased Ricardo Montalban, because he played a character named Zach Powers in, in was it Dynasty was his <laughs> show? Yes, yeah, So he's actually played a character with my name. So I've always been a little biased for, for the man. Um, and also, like, I've seen this episode several times. I've seen Wrath of Khan too many times to count. I think it's one of the best science fiction movies done. It's I'm not an original observation, but it's like, let's take the Moby Dick story and make it with spaceships. It's this, Kirk is, is Khan's white whale. And it's interesting then to revisit that movie after having watched this episode. That This is in Wrath of Khan Khan has fallen from this position of of dignity and power and he is desperate and he and he's been living on this planet forever so it's like he's fallen and you and you uh anyway for the we can give spoilers now so the the end of the episode the (laughs) planet he ends up going to turns out not to be so good and it's actually killed almost all his people by the time that they are rediscovered by Chekhov who isn't even in the episode anyway
0: where huh. it was the rediscovered in the movie? So Khan, that's that's mean. where Khan
1: yeah. starts, huh? That's interesting. I was also I was also so like struck in that episode too by um, they they use the phrase "tame a continent."
0: Planet number five there is habitable, although
3: a bit savage, somewhat inhospitable, but no more than Australia's Botany Bay colony was at the beginning. Those men went on to tame a continent, Mister Khan. Can you tame a world?
1: Ah that was ju- that struck me so much because it was like the episode was taking such this like interesting sort of progressive stance about like you know humanity and and the way like it should be ruled and like what's what's like you know good and right and whatever in 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 humanity and and like ruling people but then they go and call the British in Australia taming a continent in, like, a positive, phrase-worthy way. And it's like, you guys, they killed Space so
0: colonialism. many people.
1: Oh,
2: colonialism. <laughs> I, I, I think watching it again, that the ending of that was very disappointing in general. It's like, oh, crap, we're at the end of our time. We need to wrap this up in the next five minutes. Let's cut the script of this. Oh, and they're all happy and off on their little planet and... And honestly, honestly, I almost think Wrath of Khan is like them going back and like we didn't end that episode right. Let's go back and actually look <laughs> at what we did to these people. We banished Resolution. them to a yeah to a barely habitable world with, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I I would agree. The ending the ending was fair. It was so fast. It was like very you know sort of unsatisfactory ending. But um...
0: just thinking about the ending, though, I mean, it's really fucked up. Even like divorced from a storytelling perspective. Because it's like here's a planet where we don't really want to go to, so let's just drop Space Hitler there. I mean, like, d- just just the idea of like, you know, let's just drop him off and then we'll just keep on going. It, it's 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 weirdly like like they're weirdly lax about his existence, his continued existence, and his crew's continued existence in the world. They're weirdly okay with it. <laughs> the other
3: part that jumps out about me or to me about the ending is that they allow the uh, the historian to just go and stay with him. So, so yeah. there's no consequence for the fact that she betrayed her crew, and they're prepared to just abandon her on this planet without any sort of process other than Kirk tapping a bell a few times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're dropping you off on this planet, and we're keeping all of your paintings, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was also the that was the first time that the the powerful like Futurama like wave washed over me as soon as they're in that sort of like tribunal section I'm like oh my god this is how this is how (laughs) where no fan has gone before opens is like with Zap Brannigan presiding over this like courtroom which I also have to say like I I am aware of like Shatner as Kirk plenty including in that Futurama episode that I just referenced where he reprises the role as a voice actor but like i feel like i understand zap Brannigan so much better now <laughs> having watched several episodes of star trek
0: this court will now hear some very sensual testimony from this court's ex-lover taranga leela go b- yourself
2: it's in, in we haven't got, gotten talking about it, but in trouble with triples for me is like that's kirk at his kirkiest he's just being a complete dick to that that one guy
1: Captain Kirk, how dare you authorize a mere two men for a project of this importance?
3: Starfleet Command... I have never guess. questioned the orders or the intelligence of any representative of the Federation. Until now.
2: <laughs> like, it's like this poor guy is like, he's maybe a little obnoxious, but he's like, Kirk's way worse. Kirk's not the not good guy in this episode.
3: Yeah,
1: I yeah. also really appreciated the image of the like trap door opening and just like a whole bunch of those like weird stuffed animal things that were the tribbles, just like <laughs> an avalanche of them just falling onto William Shatner. It was just like this is hilarious, and then I, someone was apparently to, uh, sitting in that just, room like throwing them out.
0: <laughs> yeah. the
1: entire next scene.
0: I've decided to quit my job and become a person who throws prop-stuffed animals at William Shatner. That seems like the dream job for me, really. So,
1: <laughs> like, why? Why has there never been like a Priceline ad or something where that's happening? Like, I don't.
0: Maybe there has been. I haven't. Like, I wouldn't have picked up on it. I think there was yeah. an episode of TJ Hooker. <laughs>
1: never watched that. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and another thing that's on our list that Emily has not seen is the movie Gremlins, uh, which, like the Tribbles, I really feel like are proto Gremlins in a way. I was totally like the entire episode going like, "Oh wow, they really like you know." The, the, there's a, there's a lot of common common elements to the these these furry creatures here. Don't feed
2: them <laughs> poisoned weed after midnight, or you're gonna end up with a whole yeah, lot exactly, of the whole exactly
1: trouble. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I um actually. Uh, mentioned that i was you know going to be watching these episodes for this uh show to a couple of friends uh who are also big star trek fans uh and as soon as i said we were watching trouble with tribbles they were like they were like oh my god yes of course you are like that's like a classic episode and they said apparently the tribbles have like have returned many times
2: really yeah actually the the most iconic role was i was actually had to refresh myself on this there's an episode of deep space nine where they superimpose the Deep Space Nine crew into this episode, they time travel back and are in this episode. Everything wow. going on in the background, they interact with Kirk and, and other characters, and it, w- it won like technical or was nominated for Emmys for special effects achievement. And they're there, and there's a co- time where you know the Klingons in in trouble with Tribbles are just guys with goatees. That's the extent of our makeup at that point in Star Trek's history. <laughs> and then of course now Klingons have giant forehead crests and other and other features and there's a Klingon, and Worf is on Deep Space Nine at this point, and they're sitting in the bar scene in Trouble with Tribbles. Those are Klingons?
1: All right, you boys have had enough.
0: Mr. Worf? They are Klingons,
2: and it is a long story.
0: What happened? Some kind of genetic engineering? A viral mutation
2: would you not discuss it with outsiders? And it's just like this, they make a little joke about it because <laughs> they can't get around the fact that the Klingons in the episode are just dudes with 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 goatees
1: I was that was actually something I knew because again, like, I don't know i i was I was very surprised in this how much how much ambient star trek knowledge i it turns out that I have. Mm-hmm. um, like, there was a lot of things that I just sort of I just sort of already knew. And like even though I didn't know the characters and didn't like I was unfamiliar with the world at the same time, it was like, it didn't feel like I was watching something entirely, you know, new and unfamiliar to me. All of which, though, is as an is an aside to saying, I was actually wondering about that with the farheads and especially the fact that it turns out that one of them is like secretly a Klingon in disguise. And I'm just like, you could, could you? I don't feel like you could pull that off anymore. Like that's not that's not a thing. <laughs>
3: For the technology, you know, every time I watch a Star Trek original series episode, and, and it happens, I think, in at least in Triples, where Kirk pulls out the communicator and flips it open, I really mm-hmm. wonder, is it just a coincidence that uh, cell phones for the longest time were designed as flip phones because they happen to fit your ear? Or was it because some real Star Trek fan was like, we have to have an actual communicator make it flip open?
0: My understanding is that it actually creates, it was inspired like... by Star Trek. That, that that Star Trek was is the reason we have clamshell phones. Is that the people who would go on to invent the the, the flip phone uh, were Star Trek fans back in the day? So so it's you know sci-fi in, influencing real technology. Because um, obviously there was a long weird period of time where a cell phone was just a brick, pretty much, you know, and it didn't open or close. But then uh, my, my boss, Kara Swisher, tells a story about going to CES one year, I think in like the 80s, going to CES one year and waiting – CES is Consumer Electronics Show, the big tech show every year in Las Vegas – and waiting in line for two hours to see the first ever flip phone, which was a huge deal. At the time it was seen, it was in a glass case, and they, they, had to, they had to wait in line to see, just to look at it, not even to use it, just to see a phone that opened and closed like the Star Trek communicator. That's
1: amazing.
0: So yeah, that was an innovation from this show. And I
3: wish I could say the exact name of it, but there's a competition right now to create the first tricorder, which is a medical device that McCoy and and sometimes Spock carries around. (laughs) There's an actual competition to create a device that can perform a similar function. I think it connects to a cell phone or something and have a real world tricorder. So the technology of Star Trek has literally inspired people to go and create things that didn't exist before.
0: Wait. So, what does the tricorder do exactly?
3: It's interesting with the tricorders. Sometimes it's a medical device where you think you know it's recording pulse and respiration and basic things. But sometimes they do much more elaborate things. They'll do the content of a uh, of a, of the the composition of an element or a metal, or they'll do the the. Uh, Content of the atmosphere and whether it's breathable, breathable and safe. So the tricorder takes on a lot of different functions. I guess you could say it's sort of like the prototypical smart device. I guess it has its apps on it, and whichever app Doctor McCoy or Spock chooses is the one that's giving them the information they need for that particular episode. I was going to
1: say that also, sonic
0: screwdriver.
3: I was
1: going to say it's not, it sounds sounds like a sonic screwdriver, where it's like, do it. Do any of us know what the function of the sonic screwdriver? No, he just kind of points it at things, and it like it magically, unless it's wood, it magically does. Like, right, unless it's wood, he needs it to. <laughs> it doesn't do. work on wood.
0: But I think there actually is an episode of Doctor Who where he says it has apps on it. I, th- I think in the new series, I think he says that the Sonic screwdriver has apps. So. That makes sense.
1: Well, and I mean, the Sonic the Sonic sunglasses that he has yeah. now are like, they clear, especially, I don't know if you are caught up on Doctor Who at the moment. I'm several episodes behind on this season, but um, there's, a, there's a brief arc where he's blind. Are you caught up? Am I about to spoil things for you?
0: Uh, I, 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 if this is from the current season, I am not caught up. I've only Uh, seen the first episode. Okay.
1: Then I won't say what it is (laughs) in the arc, but you have reason to see what he's seeing through the, um, through the sonic sunglasses that he now has. And it, they do, it is, it's like, it's like, on a, it's like a Google glass kind of thing. Like it's clearly doing a lot more than a screwdriver. Like it's processing the world, (laughs) you know, it's giving him information about the world anyway we've 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 diverted into another into another realm of geekdom
0: <laughs> to to a completely different show um what, one other thing about uh trouble with Tribbles, uh i think maybe my favorite character out of out of all these episodes was uh, Cyrano Jones, the salesman who 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 uh, <laughs> sells the triples. And I looked it up, and uh, he is the same actor who plays Rusty Trawler in Breakfast at Tiffany's, a movie that I saw for the first time recently. He's a character actor who just plays these weirdos, and every everything that he was in in this episode was a hilarious and b. Uh, I feel like there's not enough gifs of this person on the internet. Like I feel like the did whole you, fight did scene. You look? <laughs> I I didn't I didn't look very hard, but like I I, I was searching uh, I was trying to send send you the a, a diff on on Facebook, and I, I didn't see anything. I search for like tribbles or for Cyrano Jones for his name, and I, maybe if I had scrolled farther, but like the whole fight scene between the Enterprise crew and the Klingons, where he's just like at the bar, pouring himself a drink, and then he's just reacting to everything. I feel like that guy uh his name is stanley adams i looked it up and wrote it down here that 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 actor deserves a lot of credit for 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 that that episode he he was really really entertaining to watch
2: and and it's i, I he may have reprised that role at some point i can't remember i feel like I, I remember that but also he sort of did inspire uh similar characters throughout other other series other of the franchise too so i i think he he is regarded well by fans and by the creators of other star treks
1: <laughs> i think i all i actually also looked him up on imdb cuz he yeah cuz i i was very amused by him and also thought he looked really familiar um and i think you're right that that there was like more than one star trek episode showed up and it was one of his top like things like that he's known for which mm-hmm. also makes me think that he was in more than one episode that's just a guess though i don't know i'm not I'm I'm not trying to get into any kind of like you know jeopardy jeopardy competition against against an energy blob (laughs) on my Star Trek knowledge that I have after three episodes. Sorry, I'm just going to continue making Futurama references because it's all I got. (laughs)
0: yeah I need to, I need to rewatch uh, some, some some of these episodes. I'm not as intimately you know I don't have call a future Don't you have do. where no
1: fan has gone before committed to memory. Eric, what's wrong I, with you?
0: I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> I also the, so
1: the triples also while we're talking about triples, they're also super cute. They reminded me both of um in appearance they reminded me of pygmy puffs from uh, from Harry Potter and uh, their origin story though reminded me of Nibbler. <laughs> From Futurama, because it's a very similar, like, Leela, who is, you know, basically, like, the main female character on the crew, gets, like, totally struck with how super adorable this thing is. And she brings it back, and it turns out to be, like, way more of a big deal and way more destructive than anyone thought that it would be. Very similarly to the Tribbles. (laughs) Although, fortunately Nibbler doesn't ever, like, produce additional Nibblers. He just eats everything. (laughs) He eats all the animals from that planet. Okay, I'm shutting up now.
0: I'm sure they considered it. The Futurama people are such oh, big yeah. Star Trek fans. I'm it's, sure I'm sure they thought about it's it. It's
1: absolutely intentional, it has to be. <laughs> I mean, and there's
2: even in in Galaxy Quest, there's the cute aliens that turn out to be ravenous and, and terrifying and it's the the idea of cute in the outside actually devastating uh for
0: ecologies or spaceships on on the inside. Speaking of segues, uh, so uh, do you want? We, we kind of kind of jumped over uh, a muck time, but you want to talk about that episode? Which here? I,
1: which I have to say, speaking as we, I believe in the intro, we we met, briefly mentioned Zach's impressive Star Trek uh, action figure collection. You specifically have action figures of that episode, do you not?
2: Uh, yeah, I do. But actually, preceding the action figures was I had a uh, commissioned a piece of art. There's a fine art quiltist. And she had a series of Star Trek inspired quilts, just pop art, fine art quilts. And I was going to buy one. I was like, "Wait, no, I want the Pon Far as my quilt." So I went to her and asked her, and uh, she actually happened to be the girlfriend of a, a friend of mine at the time. I didn't know that, and I was like, "Oh, well, yes, do this." And she made me this quilt. So I had the quilt hanging forever, and then the action figures were released later. And I was like, so for years, those two were like that was above my TV, the quilt, and I put them underneath my TV. So I had just completely the Amok time. <laughs>
1: Is the the word that you just used? Is that the the weird weapons that they have?
2: No, no that that's mm-hmm. the uh, that's the whole uh, Vulcans going into heat.
1: Okay, so it's the, the whole the whole process <laughs> is is what that refers to. Okay,
2: and and, and similar to tribbles, that does recur. I think a couple times. I think it happens in Enterprise and also in in Voyager because in Voyager, of course, they're stranded on the other side of the 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 galaxy, and so the Vulcan crew member. There are no Vulcan women near him, so that's a big deal for them to try to help help him through the potentially fatal lack of sex.
3: Doesn't it also happen in the off-forgotten Star Trek three with the young Spock that is regenerating from the uh, spoiler alert from the uh, from the Genesis planet? You know, time to go watch Star Trek three again.
0: <laughs> so many times,
3: many times that recurs uh, in Star Trek.
0: See, the thing is that that doesn't really qualify as a spoiler because I have no goddamn yeah, have clue what you no just said. Idea.
1: So. <laughs> no idea at all what you just said. Might as um, well be but, speaking a foreign language.
2: In short, uh, Vulcans once every seven years get insatiably horny, and if they don't mate, can be fatal.
1: <laughs> that I did get from the episode, and I loved everything about the way that they explained it. I was like, first of all, I feel like I feel like they're using the, like this this is clearly intentionally mirroring how like bad we as humans tend to be and especially were even much more so then uh, about talking about those kinds of things also everything about the scene where he explains it to Kirk is amazing
0: <laughs> it has to do with biology what biology
3: what kind of Biology. Vulcan biology. You mean the biology of Vulcans? Biology as in reproduction?
1: Their body language and like the way that they're standing and talking, they're like so incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and like cannot (laughs) deal with this conversation. And it's very like, well, okay. Like, (laughs) it's just so funny to me. (laughs)
0: I, I will also say that the um, in in a Muck time, that was also the episode where um all of the parodies of Kirk and all parodies of the way Shatner acts, those really shone through the most for me. Where where there's a scene in there where he's saying Why? Must he die. Why?
3: Within eight days. Explain.
0: And I, I just like, I, 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 I was really enjoying the episode, but, but that and like the t- George Takei sounding like George Takei, it, it does, it does pull me out of the episode. Even though, as, as Emily mentioned there, I mean, like, yeah, the, the whole scene with the two of them talking, the exposition scene about like Pont Far, like, the, there was, there was a lot to like about this episode, but I also found, I think the, um, my cultural awareness kind of intruded a little bit. on the show
3: (laughs) and let's not forget the kirk smirk where he kind of takes the the squinty eyes turned off to the side (laughs) one way with his head Uh, anytime that happens and there's kind of the pause of the camera on kirk's face it's a little bit of a a little (laughs) sit out of the episode there for a few moments and appreciate that yeah well and
1: also the like like when he gets some piece of information and then like the music gets all dramatic and it zooms in really far on his face and it's like lit across his eyes it's like Cool. I, I that should always happen when somebody says something dramatic. Is like, and you you can't see listeners, but I just like weirdly zoomed at Zach. So.
0: <laughs> well, I, when that when that happened, I was imagining uh, from from Kill Bill the, uh, the 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 sirens on the <laughs> when they, they they lock eyes, you know. So just uh-huh. mash those two things up. Someone and YouTube can do that.
1: Someone probably has. Right. I mean, I imagine
0: so.
2: I, I want to talk about the giant metal Q-tips, though, like the, the bladed Q-tip <laughs> that they fight with. has always been one of my favorite weapons in all of human history, fake or real history. Um, I, they're such a brilliant invention. It's, I want a big Q-tip swab thing on one end and a blade on the other. And I, it's a brilliant weapon. I would use that weapon in a fight if I
3: could. See, as the engineer in the podcast today, though, I have to ask the question of how is it that there's balance between the giant metal Q-tip end and the tiny blade end? Something is just terribly wrong. there, Or it requires an incredible amount of skill to wield that weapon. It's like Star Trek's version of a lightsaber. You have to be near Jedi level of skill to wield that weapon.
1: I mean, the handle handle could be, like, weighted in some way. Yeah,
0: exactly. If if it's weighted differently at different halves of it, then wouldn't that balance it out when you hold it? Josh, this is the future. Your
2: questions are moot. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well and also i will note that this apparently like important sacred vulcan pond far site, um weirdly easy to destroy like weirdly like cheaply made <laughs> how much of it was breaking off with the slightest tap
3: well and i do have to also say that we, we we were built up to the point that as as zach put it spock really needed to mate or terrible things were going to happen but then, in the end, he just kind of lost interest in the girl because she didn't like him, and he went back to the starship, and everything was okay.
0: <laughs> I
2: mean, in a way, this is just one giant commentary on the friend zone, and I and maybe that's the criticism at the end is just get over it, Spock. You're in the friend zone, and the friend zone is not a thing.
1: <laughs> I loved her explanation so much, and of, like, of course it, of yes. course it you know it makes total sense because she's you know a Vulcan, and so she, everything is just like super super logic.
0: You have become much known among our people, Spock, almost a legend. And as the years went by, I came to know that I did not want to be the consort of a legend. But by the laws of our people, I could only divorce you by the Caliph. There was also Stun, who wanted very much to be my consort, and I wanted him. If your captain were Victor, he would not want me, and so I would have Stun. If you were Victor, you would free me because I had dared to challenge, and again I would have Stun. But if you did not free me, it would be the same, for you would be gone, and I would have your name and your property, and Stan would still be there. Logical. Flawlessly logical.
1: But when it was also just like, damn, that is so cold, like... She like, delivers
0: it perfectly. Just yes. flawlessly logical, like
1: And the thing like, is it's like it would be great even if like it was like a person saying it too. Like it's just awesome.
0: Yep. Yep. Um I think that was my favorite favorite part of the episode was was the end of that episode. Um as much as I like the, the, the previously mentioned scene where they're explaining what Pondfire is, I did feel like this this is the one episode where like the, the slowness of the build up to to what is the point of this episode, it kind of fatigued me a little bit. Um but more generally across these three episodes I really appreciated the fact that they were able to take the time to just like talk about stuff and really like about the ethics and about the history and about the you know and, and the, you know, suspense of um what is this person feeling? What are they thinking? All, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's um, like
1: it, really cerebral.
0: Yeah, it really, exact. Cerebral is the perfect word, and that was something that really um, has bothered me about the recent movies. Even though I really liked the first J.J. J. Abrams movie, like like in the, the the third one which came out last year, like I, the only thing I really remember from it is there's a scene where Kirk is just driving a motorcycle around a bunch of blue aliens, and it's just like. I, I don't know. It is. It, it did not. It did not click with me.
3: <laughs> One interesting thing about these episodes, having having seen the the original cast movies much more recently than the episodes, is you see in these Kirk and Spock still building their relationship. So in the in the first in the con episode, Kirk is kind of poking at Spock a little bit, almost making fun of his logic and his way of viewing the world. And yep. then I wonder a bit, and I guess you'd have to watch them all sort of in sequence to appreciate this, but if the, the uh the amok time episode was sort of an important moment in the development of Kirk and Spock becoming friends. Because we watch the movies later on, they have a much closer relationship. There's still, you know, Spock versus various other people, especially Doctor McCoy. But Spock and Kirk are very close friends together, and I think that was one interesting thing about the first of the new JJ Abrams movies was it redid the development of that relationship for a little bit, and that was an interesting thing to watch happen with a with a new set of actors.
0: They're, they're already friends by the end of that movie. They kind of like the first movie sets up that relationship, and yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate that it hasn't really gone anywhere since then, in my opinion. But well, no, I was
1: I was super <laughs> impressed though in that episode with like how how like. Kirk was like ride or die for Spock. He was like, I'm gonna get fired. He saved my life a whole bunch of times. Like, who cares about my <laughs> career? I was like, damn, all right, cool. Yeah. I guess I yeah. guess he's like a guy you like want on your side.
3: Sure. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I, I've always had particular affinity for, for Picard. Is if I name a captain that I would want to chill with, it's gonna be Picard, but uh, and he's so different than Kirk and kind of a brilliant way he didn't try to recreate Kirk as your captain in, in the new show. But uh Kirk just does not give a damn ever. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Unless Spock is going to die, and then he gives a damn about Spock, but not about the rules. About protocol. Oh.
2: Apparently, (laughs) apparently, uh, Kirk always gives a damn? Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does feel like we're, like, insulting Kirk a little bit, and it does feel a little bit like, is he, like, Zeus in the sky, like, hurling lightning bolts (laughs) at us right now? Sorry, there's a very intense... Please take that. <laughs> happening my wrath. Happening on our end of this conversation.
2: Actually, what just happened is the, the probe from Star Trek IV, which caused the global uh, weather systems to rise, has just arrived at, at planet Earth.
1: Oh, okay. It, now, now I understand.
0: I, I feel like there's all these little bits and pieces, kind of Futurama and otherwise. Uh, is is that the one with the nuclear vessels or is, or is that a different movie? That is
3: exactly the one with the nuclear vessels. Quick okay. Someone Find a Whale. <laughs>
0: okay
1: (laughs) what
2: (laughs) so you've never seen star trek four that's the save the whales episode that uh they have to take whales from the past back to the future to to calm a probe wreaking havoc on the planet
3: earth some aliens are really mad that we let whales go extinct and they come to try and find the whales and unfortunately apparently whale song when transmitted from space causes global apocalypse fun fact that you might need to know in the future
1: i did not know that but you know i mean all sorts of transmissions to and from space have unintended consequences like your planet might get invaded if you abruptly cancel ally McBeal, and the aliens don't get to see the end of it sorry i if you guys are just going to keep making star trek references all the time i'm just going to keep making futurama references even if no one gets it <laughs> but surely we all know omicron percy i eight. anyway
3: we should remember in producing any kind of media that this could be the first thing that aliens here transmitted from the earth so we should probably say something welcoming to them just in case
0: dear aliens we're sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> i hope this podcast like i hope this podcast isn't the first thing that aliens like meet of humanity because like what an odd slice of humanity like let's watch like... Ja- a james bond movie <laughs> and scott pilgrim and star trek <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like alien the aliens are like, We don't have Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. We're screwed. So everyone has Amazon Prime. We can't follow this podcast at all. <laughs> oh.
1: Oh, I just wanna I just wanna give a shout out also just to Vulcan fashion and interior design. It's so yes. weird. I love it. I uh,
2: I I think that was like mid century Vulcan that we were looking at there, so that's a that's a particularly good good era of Vulcan
3: gong construction.
1: But again, not necessarily very like sturdy gone construction.
3: What I had never noticed about Vulcan before is that it's basically Mars. When they fly into orbit around Vulcan, it's like a red planet with kind of a white ice cap up on the top. And and, and really then you get on the planet and it's pretty much a desert with some rocks. Vulcan is essentially Mars.
1: <laughs> so that, like I mean, does that does that mean that we're gonna like when we when we finally get to like get to actually, like, being on Mars? Or are we going to discover that there's, like, a society of highly logical beings that live there? Space expert?
3: Oh, almost certainly.
0: <laughs> Thank you. You Thank heard you. it <laughs> here first, folks. It, it, is.
2: it is the only planet currently inhabited solely by robots, so logic is pure.
1: We don't know that. <laughs>
3: and we've learned from Star Trek 1, the motion picture, that the robots could become super intelligent and come back to seek their makers, so, you know, let's just say we need to keep being nice to the rovers.
1: I mean, I think we know from, like, all use of robots in any pop culture ever that they're definitely going to turn against us at some point like
2: you know what's interesting though because that is one of like the i don't remember them exactly but roddenberry had very strict rules about about technology and technology was never supposed to be the evil huh um that it was uh that w- he wanted the show to be about technology making humanity better and so if you actually watch a lot of star trek you realize that technology doesn't play the foil that often
1: Huh, that's really interesting.
2: There are computer viruses, there are things that happen, especially when you run seven seasons of Next Generation. Eventually you're going to have a, a technological bad guy, but it's the focus is always on, on how
3: it makes things better. And, and to uh, refer to the, the whale or... example from earlier, even there they are careful to play up the fact that the alien is not there to intentionally cause harm to the Earth. It's a side effect of them attempting to do something beneficial for, I, I guess, their whale aliens, or at least sea-based aliens who want to uh, help their brethren on Earth.
0: Huh.
1: Good. Good to know. I mean, let's let's hope that's what the actual aliens are like and not just like mindless killing machines who also set loose vengeful robots on us. Yeah, because that would not be great.
0: One other thought on Vulcan is that um, and I realize this is like entirely the plot of the first J.J. Abrams movie. But it was weird to me that Vulcan had not been destroyed, like in this timeline. Like in in, in my head, from my limited knowledge of like the Star Trek universe, Vulcan was like Alderon. It was just like the planet that got blown up, or I guess imploded, or w- w- whatever happened to it in that movie, uh, sucked into a black hole. Um, so it was it was really really uh, interesting to um, see them going there, and that it was a completely just a normal place for them to go uh which is different from from my limited you know knowledge of of other stuff
1: well that's like in um in the original series of doctor who which i've never actually watched isn't gallifrey like a thing yeah it's not he goes on trial i'm
0: gallifrey yeah Yeah. it's
1: like it's a it's a new series thing that like gallifrey doesn't exist and it's like you know well i mean I i guess it exists now back somehow i don't remember how it came back but i think that it's back but anyway, it was some really
0: convoluted it thing, was really yeah. convoluted but it,
1: i he did show up at some point but anyway but yeah no so i feel like that's what the experience would be like to go back and watch the original episodes it would be like why is there all this shit happening on gallifrey like i think of him as the last <laughs> time lord like I, I
2: mean vulcan is a regular uh setting throughout all the series well but not voyager i guess since it's not in this quadrant of the galaxy but i mean <laughs> in next generation you're in vulcan you have Vulcans all over the damn place doing Vulcan things being overly logical and uh, anyway and Vul- vulcan i think vulcans Spock and the Vulcan characters in general have even when you don 't have Vulcans say in the next generation where you don 't have a regular Vulcan crew member you have have data and it 's the concept of the alien character who struggles to understand the human characters, and so Spock sets up this thing and, and every everything after that you always have alien characters who are struggling with uh the concept of humanity they're trying to become more human trying to spock's case he's half human he's struggling with the, his half human side and then his purely logical side so things like that uh come back in all the series and that's that was so even with vulcan gone you can still have those things going on that's a main uh, uh technique they used throughout the show a storytelling technique
0: was spock half human from the beginning i know he was that in the movies in the new movies but was he half human in the, in this show from the start I believe he was always
3: half human—a human mother, right, and a Vulcan father. I didn't think that was okay. his. His always his backstory.
1: Yeah, I was wondering that too because, the, like, the sort of the only Spock-centric episode was this one that it was all about his like whole Vulcan fatal horniness thing, and it was like I, I was I, I was having that same. I was like, wait, I thought he was half human. Maybe that's a movie thing. I don't know. I yeah, I don't. um
3: there is quite a, a, a Spock story arc in the movies going from really the end of Star Trek Two all the way through Star Trek Four. Uh so if you if you want some Spock backstory, that's definitely a place to go.
0: <laughs> um so Emily, it sounds like you have not seen Wrath of Khan in Star Trek Two.
1: I haven't seen any of the movies. I haven't I I like the only Star Trek I've ever seen other than these, like before these three episodes, I think was the first JJ Abrams movie. And I haven't seen the other ones and I haven't seen any of the old Star Trek. So, so like truly I'm not kidding. Yeah. You're you're even
0: more of a noob than I was. I'm not kidding (laughs) when
1: I say that, that, and I mean like I had, uh, again, I had a, a lot of like cultural osmosis of Star Trek. I was very aware of the next generation as a kid, um, I think just cause it was on TV at the time, but like, I, but no, I, I, I am not kidding when I say that like Futurama's constant Star Trek referencing is like pretty much that that's all I've got. Like that's my whole frame of reference. I, mean, I
2: think though, even, I mean, Futurama for sure is, has done that. I don't know Futurama that well. You've, you've exceeded my Futurama knowledge by a large margin at this point. Um, but a, as a cultural touchstone, it has Star Trek has stuck around it, it mm-hmm. there are references to it uh I mean you say damn it Jim you say you know that's highly logical I mean get new no, resistance is futile there's catchphrases from Star Trek which have ev- people who would I mean now Star Trek is pseudo popular with the new movies coming out uh but even people who would never have heard of Star Trek would have some knowledge of it that's and I think that's a pretty impressive for something which is so uh, purely speculative science fiction Not action science fiction Like people talking about issues and thinking Is what the, almost all episodes of Star Trek were uh, The original series up through all the The, the, the spin-offs
1: I had no and idea I that resistance honestly, is would, came from say, this
2: that, that was, That's the Borg In Next Generation
1: Okay, I, be- I believe you Also speaking of catchphrases though like, I definitely decided that like the next time I like encounter an upset Crying person, I want to be like
3: Your face is wet so it's such a great way to react to someone
1: crying. Like, come on, Spock, you know what crying is. But no, your face is wet.
0: <laughs> I w- I will say that just in terms of the these episodes here, the the cerebral stuff, the sitting down and talking, that was absolutely my favorite parts of it. And the fighting, although I did love the giant metal Q-tips, and although I did love uh, Cyrano Jones's reactions during the bar fight, um, you know, the the, the fighting was. It was fine. It was, it was, it happened. <laughs> it reminded
1: me very much of the fighting in the, um, in the 1960s Avengers TV show, which I don't know if either of you have ever watched it. We did an episode about it way back in our first season. Um, mm-hmm. but episode it's three, again, I think, yeah, it's again, it's, it's, you know, uh, exactly the same era, you know, completely contemporaneous to this. And it's so the the fighting style, it looks, it looks almost exactly the same the way they're shot, the way fight scenes are shot and like the like incredibly like just kind of or fight choreography where they like throw these like big dramatic punches and like they try to make it into a big deal but it's just like oh this is like a painfully bad so like I think I think I, I have to wonder if that's part of it that it's just like we can't really pull off a good fight scene so we're just gonna not make the show about that like
3: It's true. It's true. I think, you know, not only is the show not about fight scenes between individuals, but the show is not even about fight scenes between spacecraft. You know, you think spaceships and they they have their phasers and their photon torpedoes and you, you get just enough of that to keep it interesting. But the show was never nor the movies were really ever about starships battling each other, and it, it you know contrasts a bit with maybe a Star Wars or, or other things in the science fiction genre that people would be familiar with it, it as you say, is more cerebral and a lot more focused on the interactions between the people and and, and how their uh, how their their experiences play out versus uh, just everybody shooting at each other in space battles
2: There's almost no space opera in star trek it's never about it's never putting a whatever plot you want in spaceships. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, made, I made a reference to Wrath of Khan being Moby Dick in spaceships. but uh, And the movies aren't quite the same as the, as the TV shows. But the episodes of the shows are almost always little thought experiments. And that's sort of how hard science fiction works in whether it's written or whether it's uh, in a TV show. And you have you have the hard science fiction line. Uh, I mean, you, you have some of that in Doctor Who. Doctor Who can be goofy and weird, but it also is... Let's look at this one idea, the way maybe this one piece of, of time travel works. The one uh, it recently, uh, the doctor and the crystal he has to punch through. You know, that's a brilliant mm-hmm. piece of speculative science fiction. Uh, Stargate, uh, SG-1, and, and Atlantis were speculative science fiction shows that had a little more action. They, they went a little bit more towards uh, the space opera side, but they still had a lot of this is the one concept this episode's about. We're going to explore what this concept, the ramifications of of what these people are facing on a human scale. So it's it's putting these humans in a place where they have to confront uh, things beyond their humanity to maybe explore their humanity. And that's what's that's what that's Star Trek's the original series' greatest contribution I think at least to American uh, science fiction was that it created that sort of genre which has in, even when Star Trek wasn't on the air, you have elements of that and other things. The early, I think the original Battlestar Galactica uh, had some of that. uh, The new one, not so much. Um, And and certainly through Stargates and and then the the other Star Trek series.
3: And, And Star Trek makes some assumptions that we take for granted now, either because we're used to them or because they're common in other science fiction elements. But one of them is, for example, warp drive. The idea that you can jet around at very high speeds. It's entirely possible to have other kinds of you know an entire science fiction scenario for space travel where you don't have that and you have to deal with people, you know, going to sleep for hundreds of years in in sort of hibernation. And the other one is Star Trek creates a universe in which there are a large number of different alien species, but they can all kind of talk and interact with each other for the most part. Every now and then you get a really outlandish alien in Star Trek, but for practical reasons they of speak course, English. Yeah, They need to be able to speak. Well, they need to be able to speak English. They need to all kind of look like humans. But it also makes for an interesting environment where all these beings can interact in in sort of similar. They're similar, but they have these subtle cultural differences. Like the Klingons are an obvious example. This warlike race that's focused on honor and sort of on combat. Uh, and so it makes for an interesting interaction that would be different than if it was a show that, for example, was uh, going out and discovering an alien that you could barely communicate with. We'll take, for example, the recent science fiction movie Arrival that is entirely about learning to just communicate with aliens. Mm-hmm. It's different different uh, scenario, but Star Trek made those assumptions and it made for a really interesting uh, series of, I mean, that's gone on now for for decades.
2: And even when communication is difficult, there's a uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the legendary uh, next generation episode where, the alien race they end up discovering it speaks in in metaphor and it's a whole thing about learning to communicate and but it's about revealing different ways of thinking it's about thinking about looking at these differences but how the klingons they reflect certain baser instincts and but not even baser because honor i don't think is baser but they're the honor amplified to the to turn turn the honor up to 11 uh or or turn the the violence up to 10 i don't think they're quite always that violent but just the concepts behind these alien races are always emphasizing uh, either they are amplifications of human qualities or they are uh reflection or distorted reflections of human qualities or opposites of human qualities to to show the human side of things
1: that's interesting because like so then it means like the, the klingons are not just like you know they're not Daleks. They actually have like a society that has has like a code that that you know is you 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 could argue for it's you know like it's yeah. just a different worldview as opposed to exterminate.
2: Not so much in trouble with Tribbles. We're not seeing that. But by the time that that I, for whatever reason that race stuck, I don't I don't remember their first appearance in the original series, but they stuck as a major component of the Star Trek universe. So something even in that moment. They're, you know, I mean, they're a lot like Kirk in that episode. They're not—Kirk's yeah. Kirk, on their level. Kirk is is basically acting <laughs> like a Klingon. Um, and maybe the—I don't know if it was the first movies where that really became uh, uh, the full sort of mythology of Klingonness started coming together. But I, I would be interested to go back and research that myself.
0: And they were kind of eventually became sort of like the the in-universe stand-in for the Soviet Union, right? Weren't they kind of considered to be sort of like the, the other superpower along with the Human Federation?
3: For a bit they were. There were there were the Klingons and there were the Romulans. And I think, uh, Zach will correct me if I'm wrong, but early on the Romulans were more of the immediate uh, sort of uh, parody foil for the Federation. And then the Klingons rose up into that and there was sort of a peak of it and then it descended into something that almost followed the same uh, the same history that's gone with us in the Soviet Union in real life where there was a sort of a detente and then a more of an uneasy alliance perhaps between the Federation and the Klingons and really if you were to go and look across all of the the Star Trek from the original series all the way through the movies uh, and even the new movies the Klingon and Federation relationship is one of the most interesting things that develops as a long-term arc over the series.
0: I think my my so my very first introduction to Star Trek out of anything, not counting Galaxy Quest, which uh, I saw you know, <laughs> not knowing anything about Star Trek yeah like my, as children. The <laughs> very very first Star Trek anything I ever saw was in history class. we watched um Star Trek, the Undiscovered Country, which I think was the last movie with the original cast, correct me if I'm wrong,
2: it was the last original cast movie, uh though you had the crossover generations where kirk and picard were chilling in like the alternate like the full original
0: cast like all the people we see in this show like and that one at at the time i was like i was super bored by it i didn't understand what was going on i was just like very not into it why did you watch
1: it in history class
0: because it was supposed to be uh, a a fun way to talk to open the discussion about the end of the cold war because that's the movie in which they're sitting down around the table with the klingons and they're talking about their history and about whatever comes next and how do they move on I don't even remember super well but it was supposed to be the the way we started our conversation about uh the end of the cold war and mostly it has turned into oh man that crappy movie we saw you know the boy that that was bad wasn't it it, it became like a it, was, it, it did not really connect with i think the group of 14 year old boys uh, the way that your the
1: way that your teacher was kind of hoping that it would be like the cool way like the yeah. his, the history equivalent of like rapping the shakespeare sonnet at the beginning of the shakespeare <laughs> unit
0: that you do. hello fellow kids how, how do you do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly I, Sorry, I, did I, I hope I didn't derail the the train of thought there. I just kind of had I had had a flash of memory of like Klingons equals Soviet Union. I, I just remembered all I mean, of
2: that. And that's <laughs> right, and and I'm going to defend Star Trek Six, um, because it's it's <laughs> it's I think the second best Star
0: Trek after Wrath of Khan. But I totally believe that it's way better than I remember it. I would totally believe you. At that age, and with that context, we don't, have, context good, we to don't watch have good in taste when we're 14
1: and being forced to watch something in school. Exactly,
2: exactly. And, and and just speaking, that's when Sulu is also a captain. So you get Captain Sulu, which is really the biggest reward of the whole movie. And he's a much, <laughs> he's a fairly limited role, but when he is there, he's Captain Sulu. And so you have George <laughs> K. As.
0: Oh my! Yeah. <laughs>
3: Of course, the, the, the real guidance is even-numbered Star Trek movies don't suck. That's the most important thing to know if you're going to go get into Star Trek is movies. That, is that really if true? If we're introducing you to Star Trek, that. that is more or less true. Two, four, six, not bad. Watch out for one and uh, one and <laughs> three, although I like one. Watch out for one and three, they say, and just pretend five doesn't exist.
2: <laughs> I was, about, I, I've heard, heard, I was about to fight him about one because I love one. I think, I think one is it's not Star Trek. It's like somewhere between Star Trek the plot's kind of dumb but it's pretty it's like it's like they wanted to copy 2001 and make ah. a Star Trek movie out of it so it's it doesn't appeal to Star Trek fans, I don't think, but it is so. There's like a five minute tracking shot of the Enterprise in there, literally. It's like I've, I've five heard minutes. about this, and this it's gorgeous this. though. I'll watch that. I'll put on loop. I'll watch it three times. It's the,
0: it's the first time they had the effects budget, right? Like I think in the versions that we watch on Netflix, uh, they had updated this with new CGI. There was a lot of very suspiciously yeah, were, too good for 1966 special effects. Yeah, some in this. of
1: the like shots of the of the ship were were like yeah, clearly CG, and I was like, I was like expecting this to be like on fishing line. I'm very confused. <laughs>
0: But, but, like my understanding from what I've been told from by Star Trek fans is that the first movie is they had the budget to show the ship, so they showed the ship a lot, <laughs> and it
2: was great. We,
3: we we were recently at the Air and Space Museum in in Washington, and they have one of the models, studio models from the original series there. And I learned the very interesting fact that one side of the model is totally covered in wires, so all of the shots are from one side of the model. Maybe they like oh, flipped wow. around in the film or something, but every shot of the model is the same side of the model,
1: like uh, like the shark in Jaws, where like they had to have different ones because like the mechanics were like open on the side and whatever. Um, I was. I was gonna say oh how big is the enterprise because that was the other thing was like so the cast of the cast that we actually pay attention to is relatively small right there's like you know maybe five to seven people that like have names and we're following like in most episodes um but i was like i was so surprised in all of the scenes that weren't on the bridge that like
0: how many extras was, there are It was yeah. like a
1: city there's so many extras like walking around like who are all of those people and how big is that <laughs> ship
0: uh, I don't
2: remember the size of the original Enterprise. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's a... Think of, like, the equivalent of a Navy major seafaring ve- vessel. It's got a full contingent. Plus, they are technically a scientific expedition. So you have scientists, you have engineers, you have have security, soldier-type officers. Um, so I don't remember, like... And then, like, in Next Generation, it's supposedly, like, way bigger than the original series, too. So they're, they have, like, families, because that's a great idea. Let's throw some families on the ship <laughs> and let them... Uh, yeah
3: don't worry, if something goes wrong, we can separate part of the ship and just leave them drifting in space to be blown up by the enemies after they finish blowing up the fighting part of the ship. Everything will be fine.
2: But only in Next Generation,
3: and only in two episodes, because
2: it was too difficult to do. The special effect was too complicated for them, so they only did it in the first episode and maybe the last? Or no, the Borg episode. Yeah, Yeah, so...
0: Yes, that sounds correct. Emily, don't you agree? Sounds like they got it right there. this, This is
2: so easy to talk about this with you two. (laughs)
0: yeah we're not
1: we're not gonna like it's any any quibbling over details is just between the two of you we're just like oh okay sure yeah i i believe you yeah i you could you could be telling us all lies that you like that you cooked up on your like before we sat down to record this and then we're not going to find out until people start tweeting at us after this comes (laughs) out that like you've just made up everything that you told us i don't know we're we're very we're very trusting audience
0: and then in the episode where James Kirk goes to Gallifrey, it's a really cool crossover episode. Where... <laughs> um, um, but um, no, I,
1: I don't think I have I have anything else to say. Do either of you have any, any final thoughts you want to add?
2: I mean, it's nice going back and seeing this. I hadn't watched a lot of these except in passing and reruns just happening across on TV in a while. So it was nice to deliberately sit down and watch some. I mean, I'll always love Next Generation most of all. That's that's certainly my jam. But knowing where it came from and... and And Star Trek is so self-referential, so even if you like the later ones, going back and watching the first ones, there's things that you're always going to notice carry over and get referenced through Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager 2. And I, I just think it's coming back. Uh, yeah. yeah,
3: it's something that's that, that, uh, you know really shows that it's, it's worth going back and revisiting that these hold up even this far after the fact. I mean, yeah, maybe some of the technology looks a little bit uh, a little bit outdated now, especially in the original series. But when you think about the underlying concepts they're putting out there, things like mobile technology and starships and communications and and this technological civilization it's really interesting and uh you know they're they're nice fun things to consume so if you if you want to go into uh go into a little binge uh, watching a few Star Trek episodes is a great way to do it
1: I agree with that I, I mean I, I don't know that I'm gonna like sit down and binge the whole series but like I could I could see watch, watching some more of this like this was fun when I've got you know when I'm, like, sitting around and, like, looking for something to watch, I could, I could see watching some more Star Trek. And I, 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 I gotta
0: say, like, the fact that there's only two seasons, it really feels manageable. I mean, I know there's, like, a million Star Trek series and a million more movies, but the fact that there's only two seasons of the, this original series, it does feel, like, attainable.
2: <laughs> well, there, there is a third season, right? I'm, like, not mistaken. Oh, you, is, is there a third? Yeah, we didn't pull up the third season on this when we were picking episodes, so we just oh, confused right, you, then. and we made it seem like you could manage it, but you
3: can't.
0: In that case, <laughs> never mind. I'm never watching this show again. <laughs> Down with Star Trek. <laughs> what do yes, you, you right mean there, there
3: are 10 movies? <laughs> and,
1: are there 10?
2: Yeah, and, and both. I know both Deep Space Nine and Next Generation had seven seasons each, right? And then Voyager had? Yeah. Jesus.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is expansive.
3: And Let's not forget there's a new one coming out shortly.
1: Oh, a new series. D- Discovery, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had forgotten about that.
2: We didn't mention enterprise, so we left off a whole. We
0: haven't really mentioned a whole series at all. I don't think so.
1: Yeah, no. All of a sudden, this is very daunting.
0: <laughs> yeah, ne- ne- never mind. Forget it. <laughs>
1: let's just let's just give up on space. It's fine.
0: Uh, but but uh, Zach and Josh, thank you both so much for, yeah, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much and introducing us to this show. Well, this was a
3: lot of fun. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was great.
1: And of course, we have we have more guest geeks coming in as we continue this this adventure of getting other people to to introduce us to pop culture. Um, and I believe, Eric, that uh, some friends of your or a friend of yours is coming on next week to talk about something. What is it?
0: Yes, next week, Ken Lee is going to join us. He's going to make us watch the first Fast and the Furious movie. We have seen none of the Fast and the Furious. Somehow, in even any though there's form. so
1: many of them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, even though it's like one of the biggest cultural phenomena ever. Um, yeah, so we are going to watch The Fast and the Furious with Ken Lee. Um, Until then, Emily, where else can we find you on the internet?
1: I am on Twitter at EJ Reports, um, and Zach is also on Twitter.
0: I don't I uh,
3: Z underscore Powers. And Josh, are you also on Twitter? I am on Twitter A E R O. And Excellent.
0: I'm on Twitter at hey hey This is Giant Geek versus Mega Noob, getting into triple. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit gvnpodcast.com.